Y'all, welcome back to Kentucky Fried Wargaming, where two guys who aren't qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game with hard math and chance. I'm Joe. And I'm John. And on this episode, we're coming to you with a topic that kind of, well, I'd say it occurred to us recently, but to put it in actual terms, it hit us yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. Um, over the weekend, we uh, we played a whole bunch of games, which we'll talk about in more detail a little later in the episode. But we came across a problem that uh, I don't know if we've really talked about before. Uh, and that's the idea that we were playing in a really casual environment using the updated rules for the game we were playing, in this case 40k. However, some of the changes they made really felt a little odd compared to the way we were playing the game. Essentially, the rules that they write are balanced for competitive play at a high tournament-ready point value. But us, being in a casual environment, playing narrative sessions, we're not playing it that way. And we felt a, a clash of ideas, uh, sort of pulling in two different directions, and it actually caused a little bit of a, a weird problem. And uh, we wanted to take a little episode to talk about it, to discuss this idea that why this might be happening... And uh, maybe get some feedback on if y'all feel this sometimes too. And uh, then just to quickly end on what you can do about it if you do run into something that feels a little weird in your casual group. But first, Games Workshop announced that they're going to be doing their holiday boxes this year. And uh, for people out there looking to hobby on a budget, these boxes sometimes can really help that budget go a little further. Um, so just a heads up, on their website, on, uh, oh, John, what is it, Warhammer Community? Yeah, yeah on, Warhammer, uh, Warhammer Community put up the full articles talking about them, but uh, they're going to be releasing boxes for both Age of Sigmar and 40k, and y some of these boxes are are real good. Yeah, like the Sisters one, real good. Yeah, I think Sisters is good. Uh, I think the Custodes box is excellent, especially if you're just getting into the faction for the first time. That that's uh, both the Thousand Sons and Death Guard yeah. one. Incredible. Uh, they both have the Primark in the box, which is just awesome. Uh, and if you're really into Imperial Fist, the Imperial Fist one is actually better than I thought it would be. Uh, when I first looked at it, it looked like it was just a bunch of intercessors, but they're heavy intercessors, which helps. And yeah, chonky intercessors. Boy. And then also they have like their, their special named HQ in there, which also helps the box to kind of be a little better. In AOS, there's, I think the... Oh, okay, so we got the Cruel Boys box, which I think is pretty cool, but if you're just getting into the faction, might be a little rough, depending on how they price these. Yeah, the vast majority of the um, money goes into the big vulture dude. Very cool. cool. You get it. That's where I like that the they're putting values. centerpiece models in these boxes. I feel like that's a thing they've been a little I hesitant do to do in the past. Um. And I really like that now they're not shy about it. I mean, in the 40k boxes for Thousand Sons and Death Guard, you get the actual freaking Primarchs in the box. Yeah, I mean, side tangent real quick. I kind of wish they'd go back to an older thing where there's like a starter box you can get in like the combat patrols, which is a pretty hefty amount of this is what you get mm -hmm. to start the faction and then have a secondary like big box that you can buy. That's like 
say $200 per faction that comes with like the big centerpiece model and then some stuff that would be like staples to add yeah, to the Yeah, sort of like a, a big expansion box. Like an upgrade kit yes. box sort of deal. I think that would also help a lot of people get into the hobby and know have a direction instead of, I got this combat patrol and I don't know where to yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. The Daughters of Cain box, I'm personally not a big fan of, but it might just be because some of these other boxes really set the bar high. Uh, the Night Haunt also get a box, which look pretty good. It's got Lady Oleander and the Black Coach in the box, which are great models. Mm -hmm. The, yeah, new the new Black model coach. for the Black Coach. Uh, really cool models. I'm I'm sure someone out there is going to be talking about the rules for all these boxes and how they're not good enough. But like, yeah, I I do not play nearly all of these factions. Hell, I don't play most of them. So I, don't, I can't speak to that. But like for value proposition, some of these are great. Um, and some of them are terrible, like the Skaven <laughs> one, because I'm betting it's, it's very similarly costed to a 3D printer. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> and it doesn't help that like they put... <laughs> Plague Monks in the box, which those models have not aged gracefully. Um, and let's see, they've got a box of, like, a ton of squigs. It's a literally called a squigalanche, and it's an appropriate term. Just squigs everywhere. You got two giant, big monster squigs. You got the hero squig. You got a bunch of foot squigs. You got the guys riding squigs. I want a Red Dead Redemption, like... But I want Red Dead Redemption 3 where it's all squigs instead of horses. Yes. I'm here for it. I want the same amount of drama. I just want it from goblins. Some little wizard goblin. One more job, Arthur. We can't start talking about Red Dead because I still have played Holy the second hell, one. Holy <laughs> hell, John Kale. Fuck. <laughs> you gotta play this game. Sometimes you say something that just breaks my brain. Just... I'm sure I could find it used for pretty cheap, too. Play it. You need to weep, John. It will make you weep openly, multiple times. It's so incredible. You would love it. You, in particular, would love it. It's sad cowboys. Tragic, sad, bastard cowboys. Come on. Yes, I love tragic, sad, bastard cowboys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Alignment question mark. It's really good. I'm going to go see if I can find it on sale. <sighs> I think it might be on sale, actually. I'll look around. Uh, also, uh, let's see. For the other boxes, you got two more. And oh, these are bangers. Uh, you get the Thunderstike Spearhead for the uh, Stormcast Eternals, where you get a bunch of foot dudes, you get some heroes, you get dragon riders. Uh, some elite sort of smashy dudes, guys with bows. It, that's a cool box. That's a good box. It's genuinely interesting. Mm -hmm. I saw it and like many times went, oh, I love dudes' swords. <laughs> <laughs> swords and spears. Swords and spears. Um, and then the last one is the Sylvaneth box, which if you're just trying to get into Sylvaneth, is a great, great box. Uh, you get two multi-part kits that are tree lords, which you could build them in like three different ways, which are really flexible. You get Drycha, you get some spites if you want to combo with her, and you just get some regular little foot dryads for little troops. So it's kind of a, a bit of everything. And if if I was just trying to get into Sylvanath, that'd be the box I'd grab. Um, now, these aren't up for pre-order yet, uh, but they're at least revealed, so... For people out there who are maybe thinking about presents for your gaming group or looking for deals for yourself, uh, 
you know, we wanted to at least put it at the top of the episode so that you knew they were there because these things are always limited. And if you aren't sort of on the lookout at your local store or wherever you order stuff, um, you might end up not being able to grab one. So just to try to help folks, we figured we'd bring it up before we dove into stuff. Speaking of which, hobby time and games played. John, uh, what you been up to? Uh, well, they said winter would eventually be the coming of Angron yes. and my world leaders. And so we're approaching winter. So I've been painting world leaders. Uh, A copious amount of them, in fact. Yeah, so I've, I've steadily been getting them done and that not just like base coat, like top down, done, based, ready to go on the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also helps that we've started like a escalation, like uh, crusade kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is starting at 500 points. So I have 500 points painted, and I'm working on the next 250 points now. And then I'll work on the next 250 points. And just keep going up and up. I've also been working on Chaos Knights because I bit a bullet that I shouldn't have. Um, <laughs> and 3D printed. We joked that the 3D printer could go burr, but you might have burred too close to the sun, John. Uh, impossible. Your wings have melted. I, I don't plan on taking them anywhere besides like our local friend groups. So like 3D printing them is fine. Yeah, that's fair. They look and, cool. Yeah, it's just a good time. I'm a huge fan. And then next on the docket is probably going to be Cruel Boys, whom I love all of the GW sculpts so much. Uh, and it's a beautiful range. And I'm still salty about Skaven, and though Beasts of Chaos are doing pretty good, um, not the way that I want to play. So I'm going to play the other bastards I have. Mm-hmm. The Lord of the Rings flavored bastards. Uh, yeah, I've re- like a lot of the dudes do look like Lord of the Rings orcs in the best way. Huge fan. Uh, but my favorite stuff are the big swamp monsters. They remind me of Jim Henson creatures, like uh, Dark Crystal monsters, like the Skeksis. Yes. Uh, yes. Out, sort of like these big long necks and these overly long limbs and fingers. It, like it, they give me creepy, spooky Jim Henson puppets in all of the most wonderful ways. Yeah. So it's it's gonna be a thing where I just like work with them, make them on the table, swampy, nasty little tricksy orcs little and bastards. Uh, I'm going to slap you around, Joseph. You and your ogres that are coming. Yeah, the ogre books are, is coming. Although, looking at it, I'm a little underwhelmed with the ogre book, if I'm being honest. Um, Fine, then I'll just beat up your grave lords. They're not here yet, John. That's are That's a discussion for, like, two minutes from now. <laughs> but, yeah, the ogre book is uh, coming. And looking through it, like, if you're, a, like, a foot ogre player, it's probably good, but... I really like ogres on big monsters, and they just hit control C, control V to that half of the book. Ah, uh, the Skaven treatment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I know we all laugh like, haha, they copy pasted, but like, y'all, they really did. They really just copy pasted. They really the freaking did. And I, they have somehow made some of the worst artifacts I have ever seen. It is, it's actually impressive that they have made enough artifacts that none of them seem appealing. Uh, for that half the book, so like it, it's a little underwhelming. So we'll we'll see how that pans out. Um, but yeah, 
we'll, I will find some critter for your swamp bogglers to get murdered by. I promise. Even if that Fantastic. is giant trees. And it's uh, like a spirit of Durthu with like damage six swigs. Joke's on you. Um, I'll just die. Well, that is always an option. In actuality, I do want to play more Sylvanath. I've gotten to play very little of them. And I love the new book. You can team up with Seth and one side Fey, one side Tree. You can both just, you know, Eiffel Tower me, the spooky, sneaky orc. <laughs> yep. Pulling you down into the swamp. Um, for me, I have been, I mean, largely doing a lot of the prep stuff that John has. So I knew we were going to be doing our 500 point escalation league. And I had to paint up a couple of drones for my Tau list to make it work. Uh, since the last time I built that list, the points had changed. So I kind of had to do a little bit of last minute, uh, reworking to get under our 500 point threshold, but I got some drones painted up and they look cute, very boopable and, uh, got those done. I also uh, based some uh, Song of Ice and Fire miniatures. Um, I've talked in the past about how I've been painting a Song of Ice and Fire Night's Watch. And uh, I thought it was time to go back and actually base some of the dudes I had already painted. So uh, both their bases and also their movement trays, I based them to match. Uh, so I made it sort Ooh of like wee. a... Yeah, it actually looks really cool. Like something about painting the movement tray sets it off. It just, it takes it to another level. So those are done in sort of like a muddy, snowy base. Not like all snow, like you're far, far north, but just enough. Like you're just south of the wall. Or at least I tried to give that effect. Um, and that was really fun. It took a little bit of time because it was a lot more surface area to base. But those came out well, uh, in addition to me prepping for escalation. Uh, otherwise I'm looking forward now on hobby stuff. So, uh, my wife and I have been talking about doing like a couple hobby project for a while, and I think it might be time to get that going of some, um, uh, spooky Soulblight Grave Lords in this post Halloween season. So I'm currently pondering list ideas and a paint scheme to kind of help my lovely lady wife get comfortable with painting minis that are less stressful. You know, just to kind of flex the muscle of repetition and, you know, when you like first start painting, how you're almost nervous to put paint on models, like that's where she's currently at in the progression. Like she's learned skills and can do it, but is still just a little hesitant. So I think being able to paint some stuff that is very low risk, very low stress, you know, zombies, skeletons, the stuff that she likes to paint because it doesn't necessarily make her nervous will help kind of get in the groove and also just get some reps in with brushes. Uh, and then I will take the stuff that kind of makes her a little nervous, like the hero, some heroes, and I will paint those, which is also a good ex uh, chance for me to, uh, to kit bash them, which actually has me excited. Uh, and there are some sick miniatures I have found, but I am waiting for my 3d printer parts to get here. Uh <sighs> I'll hopefully have my printer back in the next couple of weeks, and then I'm going to hit the ground sprinting. Um, but yeah, other than that, uh, we did play some games, which we'll talk about in the actual uh, topic itself, though. I don't want to push it too hard and make this run long. Speaking of which, Seth? All 
great folks. So to actually dive into this topic proper, I feel like we kind of have to set the scene a little, John. Do you agree? Yes. Yeah. So, and we'll kind of talk about what we've been, what we were doing, and then it will help you understand how we kind of ran into a, I wouldn't say like a wall, but we ran across a stumbling block that kind of tripped us up a little bit and sparked a conversation. I'll put it that way. I don't know, Joe. You kind of ran into a wall, but we'll we'll go with that. I'm not going to be salty. It was rough, but like, it ain't no thing. It happens. It's fine. But, you know, I'm glad it, you know, it got a conversation going, but I did hit a little bit of a wall. So we're playing this uh, narrative league, and specifically for people who do not play 40k, that's okay, we'll summarize. Uh, it is a thing called Crusade, where the idea is that instead of playing at a giant army of 2,000 points, you are telling the story of a small force building and growing over time, uh, playing games against other small forces who are also building and growing over time. So you start at a low, very, very low point level, which means you have few models on the table, and it kind of restricts your options. And then over time, you get higher and higher points limits. You get more models. Maybe characters get bonuses. Maybe they get wounded and they have scars. It changes their stats. You tell a story over time until eventually, hopefully at the end of this, you have a fully ready-to-go army that you've played over time that you're now comfortable with. So that's the concept. And to that end, uh, we got together over the weekend. It was uh, myself, John, our editor, Seth, and uh, another one of our editors, uh, Tanner. And we all got together to have a good time and talk and uh, have a couple of drinks and play some games against each other. And each brought what I would call very reasonable 500-point lists. You know, no big stompy, because the point level kind of restricts you. Uh, John, what were you running? I was running World Eaters, and so I didn't take a ton. I mostly took some Berserkers, a little bit of Cultist, and like two heroes. And it was, so a little bit of power armor, but nothing too out there. Like no two-up armor save stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, our buddy Tanner was running Admech. And uh, he had like three units of little foot rangers. They were regular like little foot troops. Uh, he had two different types of heroes, and then he had, like, two battle bots that were kind of like his big heavy hitters, which was cool. Uh, I brought uh, some Tau, so I had a commander who was leading the force. I had two units of uh, foot troops who were breachers, uh, and then one broadside who was my punch. Uh, and that's what I brought to the table. And then uh, Seth brought Thousand Sons. Whew. Yeah, he brought... Um... An Infernal Master, two units of Rubrics, and a unit of Occult Terminators. Mm-hmm. Which, like, I did not know would necessarily be tough crack. It looked totally reasonable. I mean, it's two units of foot troops, a hero, and one punchy unit. It's pretty much yeah. what everyone brought. Um, But once we got to playing, there was, let's say, a sticking point. Um... So, we are obviously in a very casual environment in this setting, because it's a narrative setting. You can't really competitively optimize your 500-point list, because it's, well, 500 points. Uh, and that restricts the amount of sort of optimized punch and power that you could bring, even if that was your goal. Yeah. Um, 
And that wasn't something we were really worried about because we were all coming into this to bring really casual lists and really just tell a story. Um, but John and I had our first matchup and went against each other. It was Tau versus his world eaters. And uh, I think we had a pretty good game. Um, John got real unfortunate, though, on that first turn roll. And uh, it did kind of put you on a little bit of a back foot. I got to go first, and I'm playing some like really aggressive close-range Tau because Mama didn't raise no bitch. So uh, I like really ran up the board and started shooting at John and killed, a, I'd say, a fair amount of things. Um, John, you got your turn and then came forward to try to murder me. It was... I don't think I felt any problem there. I think that match was good. Yeah, like, I think... I kind of had a couple of bad luck, like, instances where, like, the the one big call-out is, like, rolling seven saves, uh, need a four-up, and get one. Yeah. And splat. Like, that was very unfortunate. And, like, 500 points... That's a swing. Yeah, it's a big swing. Whereas, like, in a 2,000-point game, having a couple of bad rolls is like, okay, like, I can recover. That's fine. But that one was just, like, death knell. Done. Yeah, it gave me some momentum. But I will say, even, like, a single Corn Berserker did work. Did kill, like, seven, seven dudes. Like... Yeah, uh, a unit of five Corn Berserkers, like, sprinted at my Breacher's last Samurai style, getting gunned down. Uh, four of his comrades died on the way in. This dude survived a hail of like 40 shots, touched the unit of breachers, and exploded seven dudes. Just gone. Turned well, to pink mist. He had six attacks on, seven attacks on the charge, and killed five dudes. And then it came time for morale, and you lost two more dudes. Yeah, yeah, it was a single guy. Left alone. Yeah, that was one team. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was real good, real real good. I think we had a good match. Um, it could have been. I think our matchup was going to be kind of swingy one way or the other. Um, yeah, just by nature of the forces and five hundred points, but that's all right. Uh, first on the other side of the house, uh, our buds Tanner and Seth were playing against each other, and this is where stuff started to feel. A little weird. So, John, I don't really understand this rules interaction, so you're going to have to kind of talk through it. But essentially, um, Seth and Tanner went up against each other, and uh, we noticed that Tanner was doing a whole bunch of shooting and getting off good shots. But nothing was happening. And I don't want to... I want to clarify that I don't mean that facetiously. Like, aha, nothing was happening. Like, no. Like, a bunch of bullets were flying at Seth's stuff. And nothing yeah. was dying or getting hurt. Units weren't getting removed. It was business as usual. Um, And we were sort of surprised, so we started talking through things. And we found out that what had happened was that there was some... Sweeping changes made to the rule book. And this is where the conversation sort of gets started. So, John, could you kind of explain what Armor of Contempt is? Yeah, so Armor of Contempt is a rule added in a balanced data slate a few months ago to anything that is power armor focused, which is mostly like Sisters of Battle and Space Marines. 
and Chaos Space Marines and Death Guard and Thousand Sons and like yada 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 as we go on. Mm-hmm. That isn't as like as much of a problem for things like the the core Space Marine book that's been out since the beginning of ninth edition. It's kind of gotten a little bit weaker due to just how Power Creep works. Not too bad. Wasn't too bad for me, World Leaders, because to be honest, World Leaders don't have their book yet, and they're kind of running out of a white dwarf, and they're not very good. Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't an issue. But Thousand Sons, which is a relatively balanced faction, with pretty decent internal balance, with a lot of very cool mechanics, that still plays a pretty fair game, quickly became this like keyword bonanza of all of these layered rules that you now that now stacked them up to like Death Star level. Yeah. So essentially what happened is if you mix like what Armor Contempt does is it gives you and has your opponent reduce the rend by one. So if you shoot somebody a intercessor bolt rifle at a another intercessor, that minus one is now null and void. Does not matter. You still get your three up safe. Mm-hmm. Which is very good for kind of mediating how much AP there is in the game. But it takes things like Tau, like core troops, and like Skatari, uh, Admech core troops, and make fun- functionally makes them guardsmen that can shoot a little bit better. Which is not great on one end. But tolerable if you weren't innately layering on more defensive buffs such as with the thousand suns all to dust rule which is they get to add one to their armor save if they're being targeted with a, an attack that is one damage mm-hmm. and since it's a 500 point game most of what we're shooting is damage one yep uh-huh and so you have like three up armor save like normal rupert marines who now have a two up save ignoring the first rend how much AP2 stuff are you going to actually see in a game? At this at point points. level? <laughs> Almost done. Yeah. Very and little. for anyone who's had to shoot into two-up armor saves with no uh, AP, it can get rough. Like, it, it can get pretty rough. Yeah. And then add on to this that at 500 points, you know, to avoid shooting, you know, enemies off the table... Because there are shooting factions involved, we had a, quite a bit of terrain on the board, so that you know there was a way to not just get gunned down, and that put them on a one-up. Because all of those things could stack due to the wording. Yep. Um, and so, like, they can still fail it on a one, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it was rough, and yeah. Uh, this is kind of where the conversation started because I faced uh, Seth next and I similarly did nothing. Uh, over multiple shooting phases, uh, I, I bounced. My AP2 20 shot breacher unit with like strength six did one wound, a single wound. Um, my railguns shot in at like minus four. Yeah, I'll get them here. Bounced. Because even yeah. with a minus four and all the layered buffs, it was like a four up save or some such. And uh, not a single model died. And that's when we were like, uh oh. Like something, something weird is happening here. This- yeah. And then 
with my game with him, like we're playing and I'm in melee. Like I'm a melee focused army. We're playing, I'm playing very cagey. Like I am tuning up how I'm playing in this game. It was very casual, but I am starting to like measure exact ins- like distances and like not just kind of haphazardly like moving around. Like I am picking and choosing where I'm going very intentionally. I'm screening out to prevent his deep strikes. I'm screaming at screening out to prevent his teleporting because he's cult of duplicity. I'm like doing a lot of zone control mechanics. I am using like the terrain to the most of my advantage. I'm taking like calculated risks to get into combat and fight things. And you were doing your damnedest. Did everything I could. Um, got a couple of characters into combat with a rubric squad. And even with like this time he was forced to use a stratagem. And so was I. So we both used stratagems. We both spent CP on those stratagems. One was offensive that improved my run by one. And his was that it reduced damage by one. The way the rules do stack, he still gets, he now gets to activate all his dust. So my AP minus, my rend minus four on the charge character is now still only making their save a three up, which is rough. And yeah. it's damage one now. Yeah. 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 It, uh, it pretty much shut down every game it was in. Um, yeah, and like using that stratagem, like is there something to be said that he could have chosen to not use that stratagem to make the game more fun? Sure. But then he's playing down and that isn't necessarily That's always not the goal the call. either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like what do you do there? Well, I mean, clearly <laughs> it's not great. Uh Yeah. I mean, and luckily we're buds so we could play it out, but I think we all felt that something was off. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, even Seth himself was just like, this doesn't feel fair. Like, this doesn't feel like I am having to learn how to play this army and, like, utilize its tools to the best of my capability. It feels like I am just kind of a walking tank that doesn't die, and not in a fun way, but in a, like, I turned on slash god mode in Minecraft. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, and because we didn't really understand the rules interactions, we sort of had to talk through what was happening. And essentially, um, the big thing that made the impact is that Games Workshop was responding to a need in competitive play, where uh, specifically, like, Space Marines and Chaos Space Marines, especially before Chaos Space Marines got their new book, were really struggling and just getting blown off the board, which was not their intention. And they wanted to do something about it, which is fair. I don't blame them. I would too. Uh, so they put out this rule, the Armor of Contempt rule, that was centered around the idea that this will harden particular units of power armor in competitive play at 2,000 point levels where everyone's tuned up and give them a little bit of survivability. And it might help their win percentage. And it did. Certainly did. Uh, But I think one of the knock-on effects of that that isn't discussed as much is that this rule doesn't just hit competitive play 2,000-point games at a tournament hall. Uh, Rules as written, if you're playing modern matched play, you should be using it in your casual settings, which is why we were using it. 
because we were using all the FAQs and stuff to try to be fair to one another. Um, and man, it did not interact well at our table at this point level. Yeah. Especially in, and when we talked about it thoroughly, like I think we had a good hour long conversation as a group about it, about how, okay, well this, this rule was originally implemented due to like these responses in a like overall meta for the game, right? Where you have all of the factions in and everyone's kind of tuning up really hard and that's needed. Mm-hmm. And that's fair and that's valid and that's why it exists. But with our group where some of the factions that we're going to be playing against are directly n- like nerfed, not, not a little bit, but significantly. Like I think most of the Tau armament is like minus one AP. A, a fair amount. The battle suits get around it better, but... And so they're, like, thrown out the window. Same thing with Admech. Like, a lot of it is minus one AP. It makes yeah. their books significantly harder to play against these factions. And then when you mix that with someone playing Thousand Suns, which benefit from it almost the most, I think it's a tie between, like, them and, like, Death Guard. Yeah, probably. The benefit the most from it, like... It made a bad cocktail. There was no counterplay against like this new rule. And though my army and world leaders arguably might need it, I'm getting a new book within the next two months. Like when we're not even like halfway through the game, like the escalation. Yeah. I'm how will that new book interact with having this extra souped up layer of defense is kind of the discussion yeah. we were pondering. And on top of that, like, I know at my next level, I'm bringing a Rhino. And, like, there's a difference between a T4 Berserker with a 3-up armor save that can ignore one rend and the tank that now gets to ignore that that then spills out Berserkers who, who ignore one rend, who, when one charge into your lines, killed seven dudes. Like, it escalates pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we collectively, as a group, are discussing, are we going to keep this rule in this escalation? Yeah. Because we can choose to just not have it in there. And mm-hmm. luckily, it is just one rule that kind of just got blanketly you know, thrown upon a bunch of factions. So we could just take it away. But it got us thinking about how some of these balanced data slate things, though are a good reaction to competitive play, can heavily impact casual formats and how many people who play like pickup games and things are probably not like used to having to bring up to their opponent, like, okay, but like this rule exists. We play regularly. Like we play like every two weeks and this rule just completely negates the counterplay between our factions. Should we keep it? Yeah. And it's one of those things that if I was at a pickup game at a shop, at like a thousand point game and I saw someone was going to just roll over me. Well, I won't say that dramatic, but like someone was really going to have an advantage because of their armor of contempt. I probably wouldn't bring it up. Like it's an uncomfortable thing to talk about in a pickup game. Like the nuanced idea of balance and when it should apply in the context upon which it was enacted and where it was meant to be enacted and the tr- you know, the trickle-down economics of armor penetration values. Like, I, yeah. How, I'm not going to have that conversation at a game night. I'm just going to eat it, and, you know, if I get my butt kicked, so be it. Yeah. But I think in a very casual setting, 
where you're comfortable, you at least do have a response. Um, and considering our audience of, <laughs> if y'all are listening to us, I'm also going to assume you're probably fairly into chill, casual tabletop wargaming. Yeah, um, like we aren't trying to practice to go to a tournament with these games. We're trying to just have a good time. So, like, what do we gain from keeping the thing that's ruining that? Yeah, very little. Um, so, that's the thing that's really nice. is After we all felt the weirdness, Seth went, Y'all, I think this is not good. I think this... Y'all, I think, I think this bust as fuck. Not gonna lie. <laughs> I think this is done. Ruined the vibe in my games. Uh, and then we could talk about it. And, you know, if, you know, currently we're very heavily leaning towards just pulling out armor of contempt, at least for a while. Um, but we, you have that option in a casual play group. If you feel this rule or any other rule is really leaning on you and at a, especially at a setting or point level that they did not intend the consequences to trickle down to, at least it doesn't seem so. And that's the other thing is you can always reintroduce the rule later. Like there's nothing to say that it's a finalized decision. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something we discussed was like, okay, well, like we might revisit this at 2000 points where it's less of a problem or like 1500 even. Cause like, yeah, the real issue is at these low point levels, 500, 750, 1000, you do not have, at least most forces do not have the punch to get through that. You just can't bring it to the table. However, at like 1,500 points, 1,750, 2,000, yeah, now you got more to play with. Now you can bring answers. So, I mean, it's kind of like a light switch. Once you turn it off, you can turn it back on again. Yeah. Um, But really, the goal here is to have a flexible enough environment where we all feel comfortable saying our opinions. Um. Because it can really help this feel a little better. Uh, the only thing kind of stopping us currently, because I'm sure someone's thinking, like, Why? what's stopping you? Is that uh, we have a, another player or two who we haven't got to talk with about it. So, you know, we're not just going to, like, sweepingly rip our rule out of their books willy-nilly. But, like, I think we have a strong backing <laughs> for the conversation. Uh, yeah, our friend Lucas, probably listening to this podcast. What up, Lucas? Who, by the way, made a thing that's going to frickin' space. Um, he's not a rocket scientist. He's a structural engineer, but I'm gonna call him a rocket scientist. So our rocket scientist buddy... Uh, Are we allowed to talk about this on the show, Joe? I yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. NDA's up. It's totally fine. Oh, dope, dope, dope. Cool, 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 yeah, cool, yeah. Oh, cool, cool. So, like, Lucas, like, he's to very, move, very, bitch. very Ayo. smart guy we play with, who forever, everyone's just like, I don't know what Lucas does for a living. He just kind of, he's always very vague about it. Like, oh. He's super cool. He's very chill. He's always talking about all these sisters of battle lies. He's really having a good old like, time. He's a smart lad. So, like, either he's he's doing some secret government stuff, or he's selling drugs for the cartel. And either way, <laughs> am it's I, cool. Am I friends with, like, a CIA guy? <laughs> either way, I'm not... <laughs> I'm in danger. <laughs> I'm just not going to pry very much in either direction. Uh, but yeah, the non-disclosure agreement's up. But So, like, very clever fella. And is super, super into Sisters of Battle. So he's bringing a 500-point Sisters of Battle list. But similarly, 
Two uh, thousand sons, sisters of battle, have rules that stack with this. So a lot of their stuff that has minus one damage will also ignore rend now. And their miracle dice also get the benefit of trying to meet the value that will ignore the rend. So if, let's say, they have a three-up armor, you have minus two AP, they need a five-up. No, no. Now they need a four-up miracle dice. Because it's that's how it interacts. When you can guarantee saves, the idea is that, well, you won't have very many, like, sixes on dice to use. But you might have more fives or fours. And uh, there are also some, like, rules in the book for specific chapters that also will stack. So... We want to look at it first, but similarly, because he's a member of the play group, we want to give him an opportunity to hear us out, state counter arguments, maybe test it, see how it goes, before just making a sweeping rule. And I think that's the thing we want to end on, is that these things probably can cause you problems, this game, any other game, but just as easily as, you know, the gaming company put them in. If it's not serving you and your group, you could pull it out. As But the key is to make sure everyone is in on that discussion before you make any big decisions. Uh, yeah. Like, similarly, GW makes this decision because, like, someone has to from, like, 1,000 IBU. Yeah. And they don't have the comfort and the privilege of being able to, like, target specific play groups or audiences right like mm-hmm. when they make this it's for what's the compromise for everyone um whereas like we can be very specific and tailored to our individual like setup yeah we have the benefit of specificity and it just makes it easier to uh make elegant solutions that work for us and then change them when they no longer do to make sure that we're having fun all the way through the crusade game because this is going to be a multi-month endeavor so you might as well make sure you're having as much fun with each level as you can know what i mean yes so for people out there have y'all ever come across a big sweeping rule like this that changed how you interacted with a game especially if you don't always play at 2000 points like the tournament standard 2k point level has it made it feel more out of skew and i mean any game it doesn't have to just be games workshop it could be any edition but really i'm just kind of curious if we're the only ones who feel this from time to time because i do not hear it talked about in the community um so maybe we are just a little island or maybe it's just the fact that most content creators are like passionate enough to also be competitive folks which changes the tone of the conversation which is fair but i don't know i'm just kind of curious so we would love some feedback on it uh John and I kind of debated it a little bit before the show, and I think it could go either way, or probably both. Uh, I've got to get ready for the 750 points jump. I've already got my Riptide based, but I do not have it. Well, I don't have it based. I have it painted, not based. So I've got to get that ready. I'm also looking down this hobby project, so i got a lot going on. John's got to paint World Eaters, and also try not to lose all of his hobby time to World of Warcraft. Ao and also Chaos Knights oh, and also Dark, Dark Tide's Tide. gonna eat my hobby time, so I'm gonna try to have a big hobby filled November, because uh, Dark Tide. Whew. 
I'm trying to paint up to a thousand points before That's Dark exactly Tide. That's <laughs> exactly what I want to do. I want to have my entire 1,000 point escalation completely ready so that I can just play Dark Tide for as much as I want. Maybe we'll do a podcast episode about Dark Tide. The, like the role of video I'd games. That's a big excuse for me to like do Dark Tide. No, no, no. We're going to do two episodes. One on the role of video to games IP to funnel like, people you know, in. Yeah, like that, that that that's its own idea, but like we're gonna do one that's just Dark Tide. We're just gonna name it, yo, this is just about Dark Tide, and we're just gonna talk like big the ogre. Damn the hero time. me. Just, big damn hero me. <laughs> Can't wait. Um But we'd love your feedback. If y'all have any more episode ideas, we'd appreciate it. And for people who want to go above and beyond, if you are feeling certain pinches in your group on various rules and you want to use this episode as a launching point to have the conversations, feel free to send this to them. We'd really appreciate it. It's the best way to really get us new viewers. And in the meantime, that's been all of our opinion. Bonafide Kentucky Fried. We'll see you all in the next episode. Good job, hero.